I want to acknowledge that today uh, is a very important day. Uh, If you're not already aware, which I hope you are, today is Sanctity of Human Life uh, Sunday. Uh, For those of you who might be newer to the vineyard, most years we observe Sanctity of Human Life Sunday by uh, devoting the entire service, at least uh, the the message, uh, to the topic of life uh, and the cause of the unborn. And uh, while I've decided to stick with our uh, regular series today, our commitment to the cause of life at this church is such that I did not want to fail uh, to at least say something uh, about this very important topic. And so I just want to share just a couple of things with you, just just briefly. First of all, I want to uh, mention that uh, Vineyard supports uh, two pro-life organizations, Uh, One of those organizations is called Heartbeat International, uh, which is an organization that resources and trains pro-life pregnancy centers around the world. And we're actually very honored here at Vineyard Pataskala because the president of Heartbeat International is a member of our congregation, and that's Jarrell Godsey. Uh, If you don't realize this, Jarrell Godsey is a big deal in the pro-life movement. And uh, he really is instrumental in, uh, in working for the cause of life, as the name of their organization says, internationally. They are making a difference internationally. And so uh, we're very honored uh, to have Jarrell as part of our congregation. The other organization we support is Heartbeats of Licking County, which is one of those pro-life pregnancy centers that Heartbeat International resources. And uh, Heartbeat, uh, Heartbeats of Licking County is in uh, Newark. And uh, here in a few months, we're going to participate in their Bottles for Life program, uh, which is one of their uh, largest fundraising efforts throughout the year. And uh, that's in addition to our regular monthly support uh, for Heartbeats of Licking County, which is modest but is uh, consistent. Since God is pro-life, and since the Bible is pro-life, Christians are to be pro-life. I hope that you are, and if you're not, I hope you'll hang around with us long enough for us to convince you that you ought to be. Christians are pro-life. And if you're here today and God has been dealing with you and you'd like to uh, participate, that you'd like to help in some way uh, the cause of life, there are a few things that I wanted to recommend to you. Uh, First, like Stan recommended for his mission trip, uh, the first thing that you should do is pray. Pray. I think this is one of those issues that sometimes we we maybe forget to uh, Uh, put in our prayer life to to make a regular part of the things that we pray about. But there's all kinds of things you can pray about related to this topic. Pray for Heartbeat International. Uh, Pray for Heartbeats of Licking County. Pray for their leaders. Pray for Jarrell. Pray for them to have the resources that they need to to meet the needs of their respective ministries. Uh, Lift up the cause of the unborn. Pray for moms to choose life for their babies, even if they're in a difficult and unplanned pregnancy. Pray for the hearts of men to be softened toward the children that they have fathered and to not encourage abortion, but to choose life. Pray that someday the awful decision called Roe versus Wade will be overturned. Everyone can pray. 
And so we should do that. Secondly, consider donating to one or both of these organizations. Make a one-time donation. Uh, donate monthly, or if you don't feel that you can do that, you could uh, join us in the Bottles for Life program that will start, I believe, in late April. Uh, but in some way, consider donating to the cause of life. And uh, no amount is too small. Every ma- amount is helpful. And so just do what you, what you can. Third, some of you might want to consider volunteering at Heartbeats of Licking County, uh, where you'll be given the opportunity to minister to those who are in unplanned pregnancies and help support them as they choose life uh, for their child. I think currently we have at least one member of our congregation who is uh, regularly serving at Heartbeats of uh, Licking County. I believe Bethany Jasper is, is serving there. And if, uh, if I'm accurate about that, if I'm not, I guess I'm going to send a lot of people to talk to Bethany uh, <laughs> when she didn't ask for it. But uh, I believe Bethany's serving there, and she would be uh, thrilled, uh, I am confident, to talk to you about how you could do that as well. Uh, or you could just go on the Heartbeats of Licking County website and, uh, and look up how to volunteer, and that is a way that you could be involved in the cause for life. Those are just three examples, but those are things that are very uh, attainable, things that uh, you, you know anybody that has a heart to do it uh, can do those things. There is good news on the pro-life front. These are very encouraging times for the pro-life movement. In the 1990s, in the United States of America, about 1.4 million abortions per year were performed. And today, uh, in the most recent uh, um, estimates that have been done, I believe that has gone down to about 800,000. And so there are tremendous strides that are being made for the cause of the unborn. Vice President Mike Pence wrote an excellent article this week where he highlighted some of the reasons why this is such an encouraging time uh, for the cause of life. He noted that the cause of life is winning because of the commitment and compassion of the kind of people who gathered at the March for Life this past Friday in Washington, D.C. Many of them young people, many of them women, In fact, a little secret that the mainstream media won't tell you is that the pro-life movement is driven, is entirely staffed, not entirely, largely staffed by women, by women. He noted that the cause of life is winning through the generosity of millions of adoptive families who open their homes and their hearts to children in need. He noted that the cause of life is winning through the compassion of caregivers and volunteers at crisis pregnancy centers like Heartbeats of Licking County and faith-based organizations that bring comfort and care to women. He noted that the cause of life is winning through the quiet counsel between mothers and daughters. Often, mothers who have gone through their own painful experiences with abortion, and they don't want that to happen to their daughters, friends across kitchen tables and over, co- uh, over coffee on college campuses where the truth is being told one person to another and despair is being defeated. 
He also noted that since taking office last January, the Trump administration has taken a variety of steps in support of life, from preventing foreign aid from going to organizations that promote or perform abortions, the Mexico City policy is what that's referred to, to discontinuing funding for the UN Population Fund so American taxpayers won't have to financially support abortion in countries like China, to empowering states to defund Planned Parenthood and nominating judges who will interpret the Constitution instead of legislating from the bench. On Friday, President Trump became the first president since the March for Life began to address the march live instead of taped from the Rose Garden. It was a significant symbolic move. And it says something about the state of our national politics that I'm nervous even referencing our president. I understand there are people here with all different views of our president. But whether you think he is wonderful or whether you think he is horrible, these actions that have been taken on behalf of the unborn are good things, and it is highly appropriate to acknowledge... It is highly appropriate to acknowledge when even a deeply flawed person does good things. And so for all of these reasons and many more, the cause of life is advancing. And this is something to be very thankful for. The final thing that I want to say before we get to today's message is that... uh, If you've been around here a while, I think you know this, but if you're uh, visiting with us today and, and, you know, maybe you didn't come in expecting to uh, hear someone talk about abortion, I just want to assure all of you here today that if you're a woman who has had an abortion, if you're a man who has supported an abortion decision, please know that this church is not against you. And please know that God is not against you. And in speaking out on this issue, it in no way reflects any kind of antagonism or ill will toward you. Uh, We love you and we are for you. And while we hope that you have come to see abortion for the moral wrong that it is, we also hope that you have found forgiveness and healing in Jesus Christ. Or that if you haven't, that you will. That you'll see that it, it can be had. Healing and forgiveness can be received, and it could happen even today. It really could. You have people around you in this church who have themselves found forgiveness and healing. They know that it's possible, and that's what they want for you, and that's our prayer for you. And so we want you to know we love you. God loves you, and we welcome you. For today... If I can talk, we are continuing our series on friendship. Friends need be make. And today I want to focus on the importance of each of us being, or if we aren't right now, then becoming what I've called a good friend kind of person. A good friend kind of person. Becoming the kind of person that other people want to be friends with. 
I, I think that it's very easy for us to face the temptation to entirely focus on other people and what they need to be like and what they need to do if we're going to be friends with them. And we sometimes become blind to the ways that we have become a person ourselves that might be a bit challenging for others to be friends with. I can tell you're excited about the direction of the message. (laughs) Sometimes, if we're going to be able to have healthy friendships, we have to take a look at ourselves And we have to realize, I have got some work to do in order to be the kind of person that others are going to want to be around. I've got a little work to do. Sometimes the reason we struggle with friendships is not on everybody else. Sometimes it's on us. Sometimes it's our own dysfunction that causes the friendship problem. Sometimes we're the problem. The amens are deafening. (laughs) And so, if we want to have friends, we might have to be honest with ourselves and admit that we're going to need to work on ourselves a little bit. Admit that we might need to make some changes uh, to our lives. So today is an invitation to self-examination. Here's what you're going to be tempted to do. You're going to be tempted to use what I say today to evaluate everyone around you. And that is not what today is about. Today is about self-examination. Am I a person that it's easy for others to want to be around? Am I a good friend kind of person? And the Bible offers a good bit of guidance that can help us become a good friend kind of person. And the gold standard of advice for becoming someone that others want to be friends with is found in Matthew 7, verse 12. And it is known as, does anybody know? The golden rule. Is it on the screen behind me? Okay. It's the golden rule. Most of us know it by heart. Uh, I think we do have it on the screen or we'll have it on the screen behind me. Here it is. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So this phrase, sums up the law and prophets, simply means that if you take the law of God as you, as you read throughout the Bible and you, you see the Old Testament law and you see all of the commandments throughout Scripture and, and then you look into the messages that God sent his people through his uh, prophets, if you take all of those messages, all of those commandments, and you kind of boil them down to their essence, boil them down to the essential message, it is summed up. In this simple encouragement, do to others what you would have them do to you. And the golden rule there in Matthew seven twelve is set in the context of other verses that tell us how we ought to treat each other. Things like this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log that's in your own eye? Take the plank out of your own eye And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck of dust from your brother's eye. 
So you're going to be tempted to look for the specks of dust today. But instead, reach up there and feel that log in your own eye. Before you turn your attention to anyone else, take care of your own issues, is the message. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It is the gold standard of friendship advice. And we apply it by evaluating our actions and words or actions and words that we are considering against whether we would want those kinds of actions done to us and those kind of words directed to us. We evaluate this. And we can evaluate this by asking ourselves some questions. Would I want my friends to ignore my call to their cell phone the way I just ignored their call to me? Nobody here ever does that, I'm sure. (laughs) But would I want that? Would I want that? How would I feel if I was on the receiving end of the kind of anger that I just expressed toward my friend because she forgot to return my call? Would I want a friend of mine to put me in the position of needing to always be the initiator in the relationship the way I've been putting them in that position? Would I appreciate the unsolicited advice like what I just gave? If my friends wore their emotions on their sleeve as frequently as I do, how quickly would I get sick of that? If no one bothered to say hi to me at church today, like I didn't bother to say hi to anyone, how would I feel about that? Do to others what you'd have them do to you. It is an invitation to examine ourselves, to think about how we want others to treat us and then go about treating them that very same way. And so we might have to remind ourselves of some things. We we might need to remind ourselves, you know, since I really don't want others to ignore my phone call, If I see their call coming in, I will take it, if at all possible. We might need to remind ourselves, since I don't want to be spoken to in angry tones, I'm not going to speak angrily to others. Is this thing working? Okay. (laughs) I... uh, I want to offer a little disclaimer here. Matter of fact speech is not angry speech. Okay? Some people think that to speak matter of factly is an angry tone, but it's not. So we're not endorsing everybody turning into the much referenced snowflakes. (laughs) That's, That's not what we're doing. But angry speech is a difficult thing for friendships. And since I don't want to be spoken to angrily, I'm going to make sure that I don't speak to my friends angrily. We might need to remind ourselves 
since from all but my very closest friends, which if you remember, sometime in the last two weeks I said, uh, and it's, it's nothing I said, it's just fact, most people only have a few close friends in an entire lifetime, truly close friends. And, and so we might need to say, since from all but my closest friends, I want to be asked before someone dumps unsolicited advice on me. And so I'll commit to asking others, do you mind if I make a suggestion instead of just blurting it out? We might need to do that. Think about how you want to be treated by others, uh, how you want to be treated and treat others that way. That is the golden rule. It is the gold standard of friendship advice. And living by the golden rule will help us to become a good friend kind of person. The Bible offers more good counsel for being a good friend kind of person. And here is some fantastic counsel that the Bible gives. Don't judge others, friends or potential friends, on unimportant things. Now, I am not saying to join the chorus of unbelievers and misguided Christians who are continually screaming, judge not, at everybody for the a slightest call to accountability. There is a place for righteous judgment. There is a place for challenging someone on matters of importance. There is a place for saying to one another, it doesn't seem to me that you're living consistent with your profession of faith right now. There is a place for all of that. But the key phrase for today, for, for this point, is unimportant matters. Don't judge others on debatable things, things that aren't really all that clear in the scriptures or things that just really are not that important. Romans 14, 10 through 13 is set in the context of Paul addressing an issue that Christians uh, uh, could come to different uh, convictions about, what Paul called disputable matters. And the issues that Paul had in mind were things like observance of sacred days and eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Not really something we argue about these days, but that, those were their issues. Christians had come to different convictions about those things. They were uh, dividing uh, from each other over these things. They were fighting with each other over these things. And the, Paul is telling them that their friendship with each other, their unity with each other should not be compromised over disputable things, over debatable things, things that are a matter of personal conviction or preference. And so it is in that context that he wrote in verse 13, let us stop passing judgment on one another. You can be or become a good friend kind of person if you commit to stop passing judgment on each other, stop passing judgment on your friends over debatable matters, over matters of personal preference. Well, you know... They watch rated R movies in their home. And we don't watch anything rated worse than G. 
And so we're just not going to hang out with people like that. The more realistic uh, way to approach this would be um, <laughs> we watch rated R movies and they only watch G. We're not hanging out with people like that. <laughs> that would probably be the more practical application in this group. <laughs> no judgment, though. Sorry, sorry, but those are debatable matters. Those are disputable matters. They should not be the cause of judging someone. You know, we were over at their house and they opened up the fridge and I saw a bottle of wine tucked back in the far reaches of the refrigerator. And I don't think I can be friends with someone who is so misguided as to not appreciate that a Christian should never drink alcohol. I'm sorry, but that's a matter of personal conviction. It is not something to judge someone for. It is not something to separate over or to allow it to end or prevent a friendship. Now, now let me be equally clear to say this. Christian, if you are using alcohol to the point of becoming inebriated, you are doing wrong. You are sinning. And that is not an unimportant or debatable matter. And you absolutely should be challenged on that. In that case, judge not is not applicable. And by the way, if you're doing that, I say respectfully, but unapologetically, you need to stop. Christians do not get drunk. And if you want to stop, if you do want to stop, if you're doing that and you want to stop, but you're struggling, then you should consider admitting that to someone. You should consider getting prayer for that. And you should consider going to celebrate recovery. Amen. And I think it's appropriate to use uh, Romans 14, 13, to apply to even more minor and unimportant things than the kind of things that Paul addressed and the kind of things that I've already mentioned here today. How often do we pass judgment on others and rule out friendship with others based on truly trivial things? This happens. Have you seen the kind of outfits that she wears? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That is not my kind of person. Have you seen the house they live in? And then it could be anything from there. It could be, it is so big, it is just ridiculous. It's so nice. I mean, everything they have seems like it came from the best furniture store in town. Or it could be the opposite. Have you seen how small it is? You seen how cluttered it is? 
know, I'm using these as examples of what you should not do, folks. You all thought I lapsed into my own natural tendencies right there with the, with the clutter comment, didn't you? Whichever way it goes, whichever way the judgment is being passed, too big, too nice, too small, uh, too not nice, whichever way it goes, this is not the kind of thing that should shut down a friendship or cause us to say that's not my kind of person. To such things, Paul says, let us stop passing judgment on one another on these disputable and debatable matters. And we use the text perfectly legitimately to add or matters of personal preference or on trivial things, things that just don't amount to much of anything. If we're judging each other on those ways and it's affecting our ability to be friends with one another, we need to stop it. We need to stop it. If what you don't like in another person isn't unbiblical, immoral, or unethical, you should probably stop judging them and stop letting those things negatively impact existing friendships or create barriers to new friendships. Here's more good counsel for being a good friend kind of person. It comes to us from Colossians 3, 12 through 14, which tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and then says that over top of all of that, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I find it interesting that, that those things really are fruits of the Spirit. You know, like we need the Spirit to have those things. Those things come about in our lives by being connected to the Spirit. But even though those things are fruits of the Spirit, we're told here that we need to clothe yourselves with them. Clothe yourself. We're told that over top of these things, we are to put on love. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the Spirit. But it does not emanate forth from us absent any involvement on our part. We have a role to play. It seems like Paul is liking it to getting dressed, to, to putting on clothes. Clothe yourself. You do this. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We have to cooperate. We have to choose to let these things manifest in our lives. We have to choose to show these kind of things to people. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul wrote, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature and rid yourselves of things like anger, rage, malice, and slander. And so if we want to be the kind of person that others want to be friends with, we must rid ourselves of anger, malice, slander, clothe ourselves with kindness, gentleness, and patience. Most of us are going to struggle with a friend who regularly demonstrates anger, rage, and malice. Friendships where these kind of things find their way into the friendship are not going to last very long. They're just not. 
And so if we want to have more friends, if we want to have deeper friendships, we might occasionally have to examine ourselves and ask whether or not we are demonstrating the kind of qualities that make us a good friend kind of person. If we're consistently clothing ourselves in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, then we're very likely going to be the kind of person that others want to be friends with. You very likely will be the kind of person that others will actually seek out to be friends with. More biblical counsel. To be a good friend kind of person, happiness helps. Happiness helps. Lightheartedness is helpful. Being joyful is a big plus. Proverbs 15, 13. I actually don't like this verse very much. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Psalm 68.3. May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Now I want you to understand something. I am sympathetic to people who do not have a naturally joyful looking countenance. One of my earliest jobs was as a waiter at Perkins Restaurant over at Bryce and Tussing, or Tussing, or however you say it. I've lived here for 35 years, still don't know what the correct pronunciation of that road is. My manager's favorite thing to say to me was, smile, Brian, it'll be okay. (laughs) Smile, Brian, it'll be okay. To this day, even though I perceive myself as having very pleasant expressions, those who consider it their job to evaluate me, such as Michelle, usually tell me that the word that comes to mind when they look at me is serious. So I am sympathetic to those of us who don't naturally look cheerful. But those of us who struggle with that do have to wrestle with verses like Proverbs 15, 13, and we probably need to let verses like that sink into our spirit. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Like, they're connected. I know my face looks cheerful when the Buckeyes score a touchdown. And so maybe we need to make some changes in ourselves. Maybe we need to start reflecting on blessings more than we do challenges. Maybe we need to remember the goodness of the Lord a little bit more and the troubles at work a little bit less. Maybe our hearts need to delight in the Lord more than what they do. And maybe if we do that, it'll like show up in our face. We'll look a little bit more cheerful. Now, those of us who are challenged in this way may never look as cheerful as those of you who look cheerful even when you're mad about something. <laughs> we, 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 may, we may never get to that place, but our countenance could be at least improved, could be a bit more cheerful, a, a bit more pleasant, a bit less serious. 
I'm running out of time, even though I'm not sure of that because there's no clock in here anymore, but, but uh, let, me, let me cut to the chase. If you are struggling with friendships, it might be that you need to allow something to happen in your heart to make you a happier and more joyful person than what you have, than what you are, because that is way more attractive to potential friends than being perpetually somber and moody. We are called to bear one another's burdens. That is absolutely true. We should do that. I am not here talking about bailing out on people because they they go through a season where they need support and they're having a difficult time and they're in mourning or they're in depression or they're having some other type of struggle. That is not what I'm talking about. We walk with each other through those times even when they're a long period of time. But if you're struggling with friendships, you need to be willing to ask yourself if perhaps you have allowed yourself to become a sour person. Maybe you're wearing your negativity on your sleeve. I mean, let's just face it, bad attitudes, sour attitudes, humorlessness, these things are not particularly effective at attracting friends. And so to be a good friend, a good friend kind of person, consider examining yourself and seeing if happiness is evident in your life. If not, commit to change that. And we can change that. The Bible says the righteous are to be happy and joyful. And we have plenty to be happy and joyful about even when life stinks. We know Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Heaven awaits us and Jesus is coming again. We're going to live forever in paradise. Be happy. You can do it. We ought to be able at least much of the time to be happy and joyful. And if we can't, then that leads to the next point on the outline. To be a good friend kind of person, commit to change if you need to change. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christians are called to stop living like the world to stop conforming to the pattern of the world, to be transformed by having our minds renewed. And here is a pattern of thinking that exists in the world that Christians often overlook and embrace it themselves. The attitude that says, this is who I am. I have always been this way. I will always be this way. All of my faults are just who I am. And so if you are going to be my friend, you must take me as I am. Hiss! 
not changing for anybody. If you don't want to be my friend, just like I have always been, then forget you. No. Christians are people who realize that every once in a while we have to work on ourselves. Sometimes we need to change. Christians are not to be people who make peace with the worst version of themselves. Amen. The angry version. The lazy version. The unreliable version. The gossipy version. The quick-tempered version. The selfish version. We don't make peace with the worst version of ourselves. And sometimes we have to face the fact that perhaps our friendship problem is one that is going to require us to change. Because here's the truth. We all have a limited capacity for draining friendships. We have a very small quota for the number of angry friends that we can have, the number of selfish friends we can have, the number of unreliable friends, the number of always negative friends. You see, friendships have to be mutually edifying. They do. Yes, we need to help each other through difficulty, but friendships where one person is always accommodating the dysfunction of the other person, people wear down after a while. They can't do that. They love you. And they want to love you like Jesus. But they're not there yet. They're not there yet. Friendships have to have at least a minimum amount of being mutually edifying. And so you need to bring something more than the worst version of yourself to a friendship. So to be a good friend kind of person, to have our need for friends met, to be able to make new friends, we have to work on ourselves. We have to change. We need to commit to change. We need to commit to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now please understand today that I am offering this as a suggestion for your consideration. I am not saying, please hear this, I am not saying that anyone who is struggling in the area of friendships right now, that it's your fault. I am not saying that. It may not be your fault at all. Other factors may be at work, might not have anything to do with you. I have always been a perfectly delightful person and I've struggled with friendships at times. <laughs> so I can tell you from experience, it might not have anything to do with you. Just joking. But it might have something to do with you. It might. So examine yourself. Whatever is true for you, if your examination leads you to conclude that you are a good friend kind of person, or if it leads you to conclude that you do need to change, whatever the case, if you're here today and you're in a season where you are struggling in the area of friendships, whatever that struggle might be, Whatever the cause of the difficult season might be, I just want to leave you with a couple of quick encouragements and then we're going to pray. If you're struggling right now and you're feeling down about it, you need 
to be disciplined enough in this season of your life to remind yourself every single day of who you are. You need to remind yourself of your God-given identity. You are created in the image of God. Your value is not tied up in the number of friends that you have or the level of friendships that you're currently experiencing. Your value is entirely based on God's love for you, your value and your worth to God, your identity as one created in the image of God, adopted into the family of God. Along with remembering who you are, commit to stop any self-destructive talk that you're engaging in. And stop listening to the voice of the evil one who wants to use this momentary difficulty, this momentary struggle to bring lasting discouragement and disillusionment. Meditate on God's word. You know, nothing silences the voice of the enemy in our own self-destructive voice. Nothing silences the thoughts that lead to discouragement and despair like meditating on the truth of God's word. That's why it's so important for us to read the word. And finally, remember that God designed us for community. God created us for each other. God wants himself to be our foundational friendship, but he wants us to have friends like ourselves. He he wants us to be friends with each other. And so what I'm encouraging you with here is God is involved in the process. Even if you're struggling, God is involved with you as you seek new friends, as you seek to be a good friend kind of person. And so remember that and keep at it. Keep at it. Don't allow discouragement to cause you to quit. Keep at it. Keep gathering with other believers. Keep being thankful for those that you're friendly with. Keep being thankful for the friends that you do have. Keep being thankful for whatever level of friendships you have while keeping your eyes open for new friends and friendships that might be able to go to the next level. Keep seeing your small group friends as the real friends that they are. Keep being thankful for your ministry friends as the real friends that they are. Keep being thankful for all of the people that you are on friendly terms with. Remain open and committed to taking the initiative to deepen existing friendships and develop new friendships. Keep being thankful. Keep taking the initiative. Keep trusting God. Just keep at it. God is in the process. He wants good things for you. Keep praying Keep trusting him, just keep at it. Why don't you stand?